You did. How was your weekend? Halloween. It was good. It was good. We had a pretty low key weekend. Uh, my daughter had a slumber party for her birthday for like seven of her friends. So that was very eventful, but okay, we nice. survived. You, were you able to leave the house for that? We were not. I was not able to leave the house for that. I was, I was in fact stuck kind of on like overnight duty because my wife crashed and then I was like, uh-huh. I was like on call. So luckily they didn't need me. They were fine. And we all, we all came out the other side. How was How your weekend? She? You said seven years? No, yes, yeah, she's, no, there were seven of them. She oh, just seven turned of them. 13. Oh, wow. Wow. 13. Yeah. You, you shouldn't be left to be in charge of seven 13 year olds. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like a cop on duty at that point. Like I can't yeah. do much besides, you know, yeah. get cranky. So right. they, luckily they didn't need me. Just call 911. Like, I, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like when you call no. a doctor and they're like, don't call us. Call <laughs> right. 911. No. There was no one to help. This was just like, you know, just keep trying to make sure that the, the light stayed on. But that was, that was my job. <laughs> um, was it a Halloween theme or was that not, did any Halloween it make was. it into the they, weekend? They, yeah, they all, well, they had like a, an event at their dance studio. So they slept over after that. And there was like a whole Halloween thing at the dance studio. So they were, they were in costumes and then they were painting mm-hmm. pumpkins when mm-hmm. they were here and they mm-hmm. had hot chocolate and it was a whole, it was a whole thing. Spice lattes. The whole thing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I went to a Halloween party on Friday, like for adults though, like okay, cool. you know, good old, good old party that I haven't okay. been to in a long time. Um, and uh, I went as Jenny from Forrest Gump. And okay. my date was Forrest Gump. Oh so God. we swapped gender roles. Lovely. And uh, yeah, it was hysterical. It was, <laughs> it was crazy good fun. It was, really, anybody, it was such a good fun. Without, without blowing anybody up, did anybody make a tragic, inappropriate Halloween costume decision? There's, there's sometimes just oh, somebody who shows up. I, I, mean, I probably did. I think at some point... I switched um, wigs with somebody and I ended up looking like Karen from down the road who <laughs> needed to see the manager at Applebee's. That's, I mean, that's basically what I look like. So yeah, good, I'm sure, I'm sure that's so, going to find its way onto the internet and right, destroy good. any future opportunities I have for a career. Lovely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's great. I may have said some, you know, Karen like things sure. that could be misquoted and, you know, I like that you got caught up in the moment. You had like a whole second costume yeah. opportunity presented. I, I, de- with it. I, I definitely have a, a kind of an alter ego, um, you know, persona that wants to dress up. Like that's that's something I lean into. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think an ability to not take yourself too seriously is a gift. Not not a lot of people are yeah. able to kind of not wired that way. I struggle with it. I struggle with like like self-deprecating funny costumes i get very self-conscious really? I, get very I, don't shy. Take, I didn't get that Whatever vibe from you those i was like if i imagine you arriving at a, at a at a halloween party i expect you to have one of the better costumes no i i would totally disappoint i am oh, it's really? just not okay. part of my i don't know why it's, it's always been a, an achilles heel for me like i just like i, I get too <laughs> self-conscious about it well this is the this is the therapy I mean, this is exactly what you need to do this week. You need to oh, get uncomfortable and go and do something that uh, it's just going to release that inner <laughs> whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever, I... whatever's below the surface. And can you imagine? Can you yeah, imagine no, if it was I like can't. something below the surface? I want to see, see that. This? 
as much yeah, as no, this that's is exactly, like that's, gets that's the reason swirled around and sloshed around so out there, yeah. if there was like something that I was like repressing um, you know, on, like, underneath the, all of this, that's like to come to the surface. That's terrifying. No, it's not. It's like everybody needs that. <laughs> everybody needs that. Come on, that's that's the whole point of this stuff. It's like to expose ourselves and be vulnerable. Yeah. All right. So all right, I'll I'll be vulnerable in a different way. So just as a segue yeah. to some vulnerability. I am feeling so stressed out about like work and stuff. I, it's Why? like, oh my God, it is like, it was just driving me nuts last night thinking about it. I could like, I was like hardly enjoying my Sunday evening. Just it's one of those things where, you know, I, I do coaching and consulting. I work on projects. I have kind of an ebb and flow of things that are happening. And as things can do, there's like ebbs that kind of line up and there's yeah. not enough flow. There was a big project that seemed promising that kind of evaporated at the finish line. There's another one that seemed like it was going to get started that hasn't. So just like that, yeah. that's that, that, that stress and that, that particular flavor of like, you just feel like unable to influence things. There's that, that frustration of like, I just can't, I can't move a thing forward or I'm just not able to kind of like impose my will on the thing. Right. And you're just subject to that. It's a very, impotent feeling it's a very like yeah. frustrating feeling to be relegated like that and it's just like i've just been like honestly this whole like past 24 hours it's been just weighing me down and then what, what, what do you have a way to lift yourself out of that or <sighs> yeah i mean yes and I mean, no. apart from talking to me because you know i'm i'm just gonna it's gonna coach you man i, don't, I appreciate gonna... that i need that <laughs> no, I, so like the i i yes i think that I go to the gym as a way to kind of like break yeah. myself out of that. But I also Great feel idea. like, I also feel like I know myself well enough that I wind up diminishing the value of that because I, I kind of then am convincing myself that this is just avoiding the problem. This is not like uh, one way to look at it is I'm channeling my energy into another area that gives me energy and it's a yep. positive way to kind of break out of that. And then the little negative voice on my shoulder saying, yeah, this is like taking your eye off the ball and distracting you from the real problem. And you're giving yourself a dopamine yeah. hit when nothing's yeah. changed. So like, it's, yeah. you know, it's hard to grapple with all that. Well, uh, these things do come in waves. Yes. I'm, I'm living a similar kind of thing where, you know, the, uh, the last couple of years have had inconsistent returns yep. in all forms, like, you know, grieving and, yep. re, you know, returning to some kind of normality, um, post death, post COVID, mm. post not working, uh, in a traditional sense. Um, so I, yeah, I feel for you. I, I do notice that, um, that mood follows action. Mm. You know, there's a, there is a tendency for us human beings who are, sedentary like we're inside a lot of the time we're we're looking at a screen and we're almost hoping for that external solution to just jump out at us sure yeah you know we we've been told by uh society that we don't have the answers like you know yeah. it's you've got to give it up to your your church your uh government your mm -hmm. whatever your your job your boss they've got all the answers your therapist got all the answers you don't have any answers so there's that yeah. that kind of externalizing uh that so you feel immediately helpless and then on top of that we're told um yeah there's not much you can do about it you don't have control 
Yeah, yeah. You just got to wait and see, you know, you are who you are. But I found that um, I, I'm, I'm not nearly as smart as I wish I was. And, and what I tend to do is instead of think myself out of a problem, I normally act myself out of a problem. And it's mm -hmm. normally out of, it's nervous. It's like a nervous energy. It's mm -hmm. more like an anxious energy. I'm like, mm -hmm. I just got to go do something and I'll, yep. whatever it might be. And I, I might just pick up the phone and, and phone five people and yep. write something and go for some kind of exercise and just like be active. Yep. And I know exactly how you're feeling because there's also that underlying element of, oh, well, this is just, a, this is just a distraction. This is just a postponement of what, you know, you should mm -hmm. probably be doing something else. You should be doing, you know, trying to get a job or something, <laughs> but I mean, let's be honest, I'm unemployable. Um, you know, 53, <laughs> I've worked for myself almost my entire life. <laughs> so, uh, who am I kidding? Like, yeah, I'm like, the, the best thing I can do is, you know, go out there and talk to other people. And, yeah. um, I, you know, it's not always going to work for sure. It's going to, yeah. you know, it's going to fall flat sometimes, but I'd say, you know, a good eight times out of 10 calling other people, uh, talking about this stuff, exposing my my weaknesses and vulnerability in a kind of a casual way, like, hey, yep. just having a shit day, you know, just yeah. need to kind of get it off my chest. Yep. Um, and then doing stuff, just actually getting out there and doing stuff. Yep. Um, and I think in our world, this kind of thing, making a piece of content, which is both representative of our own lives, but then probably represents a lot of people. I, I, I yeah. as I guess, there's a couple of million people out there <laughs> having the, having a shit Monday and they, They'll, you know, open up LinkedIn or whatever, and they'll see us having this chat, and they'll go, oh, "Yeah, it's not just me. I'm not the only one having a crap day." And yep. maybe, I, maybe there is some control that I have. Yep. Maybe I can actually have agency over the work. Maybe yep. there is agency over my future. Yep. Uh, but yeah, mood, mood certainly follows action. I, I normally yep. feel better uh, when I do those things. I'll add as well that playing music loudly, exercising, mm -hmm. avoiding alcohol, um, hanging out with people I love almost always works yeah almost always like yep. there are like i said there's moments when it's not going to hit the, the spot exactly but yeah that, that stuff works and writing yeah. believe it or not tends to kind yeah. of get the the noise because there's i don't know about you but i got voices in my head man so and that's never, never fucking shut up and that's the that's the part that i <laughs> and it, that that's what like when I go to the gym, that's the part I'm able to quiet is like the voice and the, the running monologue and the narrative and all that. I think that's that that to me is I think part of it is that I am such a like an emotional person at my core. Like I really am like like obviously I mean, I'm, 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 I think I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve a lot of the time. And <laughs> and I think for whatever reason, I have a combination of of personality traits and background that makes me in a very textbook way as a first child of, of a, you know, a family, like I am very like validation thirsty. Like I, mm. I, I love, I yeah. crave that kind yeah. of like validation of others. I think like when I perceive that people like me, like my superpowers are kind of at their peak. And if I don't perceive that, if, the, if there's the absence of that, that's when like, I feel like my powers kind of wane the most. I love the idea of like, I think, one piece of advice I'm going to take from you that I need to like focus on is to actually like spend some real time with some friends and some people that just are, you know, positive energy in a, you know, like a in real life kind of way, not just like virtual, like yeah. I need to like get together with some people that I like and, and 
cultivate some of that energy. Cause I, I do feel like it's, it's a big part of what like recharges my battery is that, that, that validation you get from that kind of sure from, yeah. from hanging out with people like that. I mean, you're an extrovert. That's, that's your battery, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the nature of it, right? Like I need to kind of recharge that battery and, 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 and I, I mean, actually, think about it last, last week when you were at the, uh, when you went to the, the, the event, yep. um, I mean, you were walking on sunshine. Yeah. A hundred percent. It made a huge difference. It, it really did like add like a, a whole like bounce to my step having had that. Yeah. And I think honestly, part of, I mean, part of why I'm experiencing some, some like slowdown in my consulting is just, you know, part of it, you have to attribute to that. It's the, the nature of ebb and flow of things that's beyond your control. Like part of it mm -hmm. is healthy to acknowledge, like, even if you do everything right, some of it's outside of your control and you're going to have some fits and starts and that's okay. Like that is just the yeah. nature of things. I do think though, that it's not a coincidence that so much of my lead gen traditionally, so much of my ability to kind of find new partners and make those connections is really founded in my going to events, my going to conferences, my being in the same room with people, getting to know people in that kind of yeah. context. And I think I'm seeing like my own version of long tail COVID where it's like, there's a two and a half year period really where not only were we under lockdown and then we were kind of like not really getting back to these kinds of events. And there was like a huge kind of delay in those things even happening. That was a, you know, a huge disruption in my ability to find or meet mm -hmm. new people to add to my network in that kind of, you know, in real life conference yeah. kind of environment, you know, yeah. so that that's a huge gap that I think, has like a snowball effect on, you know, I, I had been meeting and kind of engaging with new people at a kind of fever pitch for years. And then for that to, to be sidelined like that for a while, I think is partly why, you know, just as a natural byproduct, yeah. I just, I don't have as much of that potential yeah. energy that I had. I had a coach uh, several years ago who she's unfortunately passed away, but she had this really good way of seeing what we're talking about. Hmm. And she was like, look, there, there's seasons and reasons. And, and if mm. you're having a period of time in which the work is not keeping you busy or, and I think she was, she was obviously very sensitive to the fact that I was in the, in the service industry, which is really a, a feast of famine kind of existence. Yep. And she would make those comparisons. She's like, look, now's the time to go and chop wood because the winter's coming, right? Now's the time right. to to go and do the things that you can't do when you're working on a project. Right. So if you're working on a project, you're not going to be able to do sales and marketing, outreach, networking. So she reminded me, and I, I, her voice is in my head, when, when I don't have a client project to keep them busy, uh, that's when I turn my attention to chopping wood. Like, what is the thing that I can go and do that will prepare me for the next season? You know, what mm -hmm. kind of, tracks can I lay down not to add too many metaphors to this mm -hmm. really long story, but mm -hmm. just kind of thinking about the future and saying, well, there, there might actually be a reason that I'm not busy right now because I do need to do some of these other things. And there are, yeah. there's always a backlog of projects and things that need yep. to be done and admin and whatnot. And, you know, just doing all those things, you know, invoicing, collecting money, doing marketing, mm -hmm. all this stuff that tends to get ignored. Yeah. When you're doing the work itself. Yep. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's, that's one of the struggles I think I see in, in client services is 
that inbound leads are noisy. I see this with my clients all the time that like the the leads that walk up to their front door consume a lot of their attention. They get very excited about it. It's a new opportunity and they may be over index on how much time they're going to spend on like a suboptimal lead because it like mm. it came to them. It, it's mm. an inbound lead. It has all this intrinsic value where, mm. you know, truly their time might be better spent not working on that C plus lead. It may be better spent chopping wood to your point, you know, working on marketing, working on other things that have a longer tail benefit to their business. But nine times out of 10, people are going to take the bird in the hand, work on the suboptimal lead, ignore the long-term stuff because the yeah. inbound lead is very noisy. And, and it's, sure. just, it's hard to be disciplined and, and focus your time in that way and balance your time the right way. Well, maybe that's a good topic for what we're doing. I think two things come to mind immediately. Mm -hmm. One is just an anecdote. And that is, since we've started posting these videos, these conversations mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, there has been some inbound in my direction. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know, hey, kind of forgot that you were out there or Right. Love, the, love the words around this particular issue. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be an opportunity to work together. So I think yeah. that if that's not validating enough, you know, nothing will be because that yep. really is, um, again, not to put too much emphasis on on the fact that LinkedIn really just is a place where people tell everybody else how, how smart they are. We're doing something a little bit different, and that is we're having real conversations about real issues right. um, that that almost every business owner or agency owner is going to have. Uh, so there's that part of it. Mm -hmm. And then I think, I think this, the second part of it is let's talk a little bit about the tactics that might work for people who are listening to this and, and also scratching their head and saying, yeah, I'm also not getting the quantity or quality of leads or yeah. opportunities that I thought I was going to get. Um, and, and I know I'm a little bit biased just because this has worked so well for me in, in multiple businesses and continues to work. Mm -hmm. Like it's like my little anecdote has just pointed out, it's still working. And mm -hmm. that is a lot of companies think about product market fitters. They make a thing and then they go and look for a market and then they see whether there's fit there. Mm -hmm. And if there is fit, that's great. If there's not fit, then there's um, some gnashing of teeth and some fiddling and, you know, remixing of what that that product or service is in order for it to then now fit the market mm -hmm. or maybe they go seeking a, a new market those are also other options and we can talk about the nuances of that but i think what a lot of companies forget is that there is a reverse to what they're that they're currently doing which works a lot better and that is you actually need to build the community first mm. and then you need to insert a product into that so mm. the the way I describe it is, and um, we talk about this, um, you know, in, in some of the other work I do, and that's content product fit, mm -hmm. where the easiest thing for you to do while you're thinking about what your product or service actually is, is to start making content about that process. Now, there's lots of different ways you can do this. This could be like a build in public type content creation. Mm -hmm. It could be with delivering free value. You know, if you're a coach, for example, Hey, I'm about to give you a thousand dollars worth of free coaching advice. Here it is. Right. Take it. You know, right. Kind of give to get um, mentality. But any kind of content creation, whatever that looks like in any form, is obviously going to be something that allows you to start building a community. Mm -hmm. now, the, the, the concern for a lot of 
content creators is, well, I'm not getting a lot of followers or a lot of engagement or a lot of subscribers. And the reality is you probably won't. Right. Um, because the algorithms are not designed to support people that are doing good things. They're designed for the noisemakers, the, the, the people who are catastrophists who are um, developing narratives that are very dramatic and mm. <laughs> eyeball-consuming stuff. And that's how media makes its living. If you look at the way the algorithms are set up, even on, on something like LinkedIn, it doesn't matter how good your content is, really it's unable to rise to the top if it's good because that noisy stuff is going to get all the attention because that's what sells ads, right? That's what sells advertising. Right. All these advertising models have corrupted that. So even if you're not getting engagement, even if you're not seeing the numbers, you're not getting a massive amount of subscribers or followers or likes or comments, that actually is not a necessarily a fair indication of, of how people are interacting with you. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that reach out to me, you know, they kind of slide into my DMs, they've never liked or commented on anything mm -hmm. that I've created. And I checked my stats yesterday in the last mm -hmm. 365 days, I've had close to a million impressions on my mm -hmm. work, on my posts and things. Now that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how they calculate that, but the engagement's just as high. It's tens of thousands of engagements mm -hmm. in terms of comments and things. But the people that reach out are never those people. They're never the ones you're commenting. Right. They're always the little voyeur or silent right. watchers in the background. Person. So yeah. I think a, a cautionary story, or this is a cautionary story for those people who are thinking about content as a, a way to build community, that it's unlikely that you'll see the numbers you're seeking out for you to actually benefit from those inbounds. Right. And so that doesn't mean you shouldn't stop. You should continue to create content. Right. Um, and, and where we're going with this content product fit thing is make the content continuously, deliberately, intentionally, kind of think out loud like we do. Most mm -hmm. of this is really just, you know, what's normally going on in our heads and, and kind of bothering us like a schizophrenic, you know, noisy mind. We're just speaking it out loud so that mm -hmm. it doesn't distract us from, um, you know, other things. Mm -hmm. And so we are, we are creating this story, which ultimately creates empathy and compassion from others saying, Oh yeah, that's me. Or I see that, or yeah, you know, I'm in the same boat as you guys, or I've, thanks mm -hmm. for the, that little bit of advice. Mm -hmm. That stuff needs to continuously be out there. And then what you can do is say, Hey, Joe, you and I talk a lot about X, Y, Z. We talk a lot about sales in the agency world or in the client services industries. Um, wouldn't it be great if we provided a product to our customers or our listeners or our, our followers that would benefit them even more mm -hmm. greatly? So, for instance, if this podcast was about coffee, we would then launch a coffee mug and mm -hmm. a branded coffee product, you know, coffee beans, like whole beans or something like that. Maybe even start a roastery or something like that. So mm -hmm. if we've got, a, you know, several thousand people who tune in to listen to stories about coffee, then suddenly we're adding something very relevant to that conversation. Yep. And I think you and I both know this because we're working on this book called You Should, I mean, You Can't Lose. And um, the You Can't Lose book will ultimately become the product that fits into the content that we've been creating, not the other way around. 
Right. So you see see what I'm saying here? No, totally. Yeah. 100%. Most companies build a product and then they, they hire a marketing person scratching their head saying, hey, can you figure out how to make a, right. a, you know, a narrative or a story around that? Yeah. And that's, a, unfortunately, the cart's before the horse in that case. You really right. need to lead with good content. And that, by its nature, will build your community or your following. Yeah. And then you introduce your product based on what the conversation is. So if we're hearing a lot of people saying, wow, you guys are really nailing it on this particular issue or these things, that then will guide you towards creating that product, whatever it might be, Yeah. Um, to that audience. And again, this is not a silver bullet, not going to work for everybody, but it tends to work better. It's more efficient, it's cheaper, requires less resources. And the best part about it is that it has a high cadence of learning. So you're experimenting all the time. Right. You know, we, we can go back and look and say, wow, you know, those episodes, wow, those ones really blew up. I don't know mm. why, but that attracted a lot of interest. This other one that we thought was going to be fantastic, nobody even cared about that. Right. Now we've got choices. We can say, well, let's redo that one, put a little clickbait header on that and see if that <laughs> was the difference. And if it doesn't work, well, yeah, that's just not what people want. Yeah, right. It might, might be not the case. So I think the cadence of learning and the experimentation stuff happens in that content phase. And then you can then decide where to align your product around that. And that product market fit tends to be so much better than if you're just, you know, trying to force a product into the well, product market assumes product then market, just in the way that those two words are. Right. Um, uh, the hierarchy of those words or the sequence of those words, whereas content product suggests make the content first or continue to make the product, product and then drop the content in. Yep. There's a lot that I want to, I could respond to like a million things in that. But one thing I want to just kind of like <laughs> reiterate is that there is value in, in kind of fishing with a net as opposed to fishing with a spear. Because when you fish with the net, you get all kinds of unexpected well, things. You're, 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 you're also marketing and selling differently, right? So marketing is a net, mm -hmm. sales is a spear gun. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair comparison too. And I think that, but what you're describing though is like when you, when you have that kind of fishing with a net mentality, then you can yield all kinds of unexpected outcomes too. Like you're not limiting yourself. Mm. So these are the only favorable outcomes I'm looking for. These are mm. the only versions of success I'm open to. To your point, mm. you have those silent audience members that may never have indicated to you that they were a part of that community or that they were, you know, witnessing this. And you would have mm. never known. But yeah. being open like that allows people like that to step forward and and you know identify themselves as interests. I think part of it too is when you when you put the audience or the community first. I mean, honest, people can tell when there's that authenticity or there's not. Like people reject inauthenticity. So if you are trying to manufacture community mm -hmm. after the fact, yep. people reject that. Like people feel marketed at, they, yep. they, they perceive the, right. the hidden agenda baked into that. And it, and yep. it, you know, they just bump against it. Their, their reptile brain kind of signals to them that, they're, that that's happening. Yeah. Well, I was listening to a, a woman who was saying that we, you know, we have uh, very advanced mechanisms to recognize these kinds of things. And we don't even know. We just we have that feeling. Yeah. Uh, these micro expressions, these micro clues. Mm -hmm. We just don't even we don't even cognitively realize like, wow, I don't 
want to follow that person. I don't want to listen to right. what they're saying. Right. And it's, and it's, it's from millions of years of evolution. Like it's in our biology uh -huh. at a DNA level that, you know, used to be the thing that kept us alive. That, that uh -huh. instinct was the thing that like kept you kind of within uh -huh. the community. It kept you, you know, thriving. And now it's yeah. this dormant skill that still is speaking to you in your quiet mind that says like, nah, you know, maybe not that guy. Like, Eh, maybe not that idea. Like there's just something that, that gives you that kind of pattern recognition or that kind of like awareness that that is what is hard about connecting with people is, you know, how do you merge? So, so just to, to the point of how do you merge some strategy along with authenticity, right? Like how do you kind of harness a little bit of that intentionality as well mm -hmm. as some of that authenticity? I think that's where a lot of people struggle is, starting to kind of tiptoe towards putting some direction on things, ad adding some intentionality to things. And I think that's what we've seen historically with people that work in services is that they're, they're in naturally, unfortunately, kind of a responsive, you know, reactive kind of posture in a lot of cases that they're responding to client interest. They're responding to, to people that are paying the bills and they're trying to meet those needs in a service providing kind, of, I mean, it's it, it's in the it's in the terminology. You're a service provider. You're trying to meet those requirements, and I think that the lesson I need to take from this too, in my own kind of challenges this week, or and that people need to take, you know, kind of is embrace some amount of direction, some amount of control, even if it's wrong. Like experiment with things, try things out, try to impose a little bit of what you want into what's available to you. And, yeah. you know, maybe you only increase your likelihood of realizing that by 5% or by 10%, but that's better than sitting back and waiting to kind of harvest what arrives. You know, if you're, if you're trying to impose a little bit of what you want into this, you had, you just increased your chances of finding what you want a little bit, you know, and that may not, may not be totally. that you yeah. double the chances of finding yeah, what you yeah. want, but every little bit helps. Of course. I mean, it goes back to that that cycle of experimentation, right? If you're trying new things every day yep. or you're trying things every day, it doesn't have to be new things, but just being out there. Um, you know, we've spoken yep. about this before. I have a, I make these, um, these matrix, matrix, uh, whatever mm -hmm. you call that, like a grid of, of things. And I said to myself, and I should actually write a post about this because it's been so successful. I would be like, look, I'm going to write a hundred LinkedIn posts mm -hmm. or I'm going to paint a hundred paintings just mm -hmm. a you know a number just pick yep. a number um numbers probably not 10 and it's probably not a thousand <laughs> something like <laughs> right, right, something right. in between yeah and and it does two things one is it creates the habit right so you wake up every morning and you post something you create something mm. um it doesn't have to be a post on linkedin it could be whatever it could be a video blog whatever mm. something just post something um and and it doesn't have to be good. Do it for the sake of doing it. Do it yeah. for the sake that you're, um, and, and for me, it's just therapy. It's whatever that noisy voice is in my head that needs to be expelled. Yeah. And so writing it down very often is the clarification of whatever I'm thinking. So it's not just two cockroaches fighting in my brain, but rather, <laughs> oh, that's what I was thinking about. I, it wasn't what I imagined was it wasn't the anxiety i thought it was it was actually this other question that i have that goes unanswered that needs to be written down mm -hmm. so the habit of writing that down does two things one is it's therapeutic it just gets that shit out of your head 
Right. The second thing, of course, is it creates the habit of writing things down. And now I'm, I'm writing it down, but I'm sharing it. So slowly but surely, I'm also developing the, I'm kind of tricking the algorithm as well. Because now the algorithm, I mean, LinkedIn even reached out to me at one point and said, hey, we're, we're going to boost your posts because you've been posting so regularly. Mm. If you keep on posting every day, we'll keep on boosting them. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, does it get any better than that? Like, yeah, great. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you've got your algorithmic juice and I'm getting my algorithmic juice. It's like, right. it's a perfect synergy. So therapeutic creates a habit. Yeah. The algorithms love it. And then, yeah. of course, your audience is getting value out of that, right? So yeah. they, they're starting to comment, and I can start to see, depending on the directionality of those comments, which things get people's attention, what they want to talk about, what they're yep. excited about, and the things that people are less interested in talking about and maybe just are not either relevant or topical. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't have, like, a good timeliness to them. Mm-hmm. So those four things ultimately give you this this content wave if you will that allows you then to start running experiments like well what if what if i asked my audience if they wanted to see you know a book so that's what i did the other day i I posted Mm. something i said i got you know forty three thousand eight hundred and eighty seven words written for this book that i'm writing didn't say what it was about didn't Mm. what i kind of hinted that it was about leadership um Mm. didn't say specifically what it was about and uh, got a bunch of comments, got a bunch of people sliding to my DM saying, hey, I'd love to contribute or do you need somebody to copy edit or do you need somebody to proofread? Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever you're writing a book, those beta readers and, and editors are absolutely essential. Those are the mm-hmm. people who are going to not only enhance the quality of the product that you're creating, but they're also going to be your your missionaries, right? They're going to be the advocates to take right. that story out there before right, you can. Because they're kind of like shareholders in it. Right. They've invested their time and energy right. in it. Maybe they even wrote a blurb for you. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to go and share that with their mm-hmm. audience. And and that's critical. So mm-hmm. it has this kind of, you know, I, again, I've written about this before. I wrote a, a bunch of articles about this, but I think it also probably is worth writing something a lot more specific about. And that is this, this cadence that you create develops both your skills and the skills of your audience and also then gives you this environmental space to go and run experiments mm-hmm. so that you can then test the atmosphere and you're like hey this is yep. what's warm and this is what's interesting yep. here's where i'm finding a lot of traction i'm gonna go and do that thing and yep. so you know you, you've got this amazing book coming out start posting you've already started posting things you know you might find like gee the people aren't you know the people that i want to respond to this aren't responding directly well Maybe you just send mm. it, try a different way. You send it to yeah. them via email or invite them to actually edit the document itself. Yep. Um, but they notice, you know, when you tag them and when you include them in that conversation, they start to notice. And then yep. that starts to become a lot more interesting. Yep. Yep. No, I, I, to me, that's the, the trick is that experimentation. I think the trick is, is that not to be afraid of a good wrong idea to start and then to, Right. improve that idea over time right like to right. me that's when i i've seen that work countless times in in working with with clients or working with partners is to people are afraid of or my clients eight service providers agencies consultants whomever even members in a team even mm-hmm. members in an internal team are afraid of 
how the wrong idea might reflect on them, how the wrong mm -hmm. idea might, you know, diminish their value in someone else's eyes. Yeah. And I think what I found in a lot of cases is even as long as it's not a bad idea, bad ideas are bad ideas. There's not a lot of help for yeah. truly bad ideas. So I'm not saying yeah. there's a difference between a wrong idea and a bad idea. A wrong idea that is good still conveys to the person you gave the wrong idea to that, A, like I was thinking about this on my own time. You mattered enough to me that absent some framework or context where you asked me for an idea, here's, here's an idea unbidden, unrequested that I'm giving to you that is somehow relevant to our conversation or your business or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it may not be perfect, but it is still a decent idea. And it conveys to you, you mattered enough to me that I thought of this idea. So like at a, at a rudimentary level, at least it articulates to people that they mattered enough that they warranted that time and space in your brain to come up with that wrong idea. Yeah. And I think what you see in a lot of cases is either there's wonderfully direct feedback that helps redirect that wrong idea in the right direction. And that wrong idea can become a more and more right idea over time. Or what you see a lot of cases too is the wrong idea triggers a wholly different response from the person right. you gave the wrong idea to a third idea, a third thing that wasn't even a part of the conversation. Yep. And that just comes like, it, it took it took that wrong idea to kind of jiggle it loose and have this other thing kind of present yep. itself. In, in this is the key of conversation, right? It's, um, as I think Richard Dawkins came up with this concept. Ideas need to have sex with each other in order to create better ideas, mm. just like DNA, right? He's he's the guy that invented the, the concept of meme, so instead of a gene meme. So mm. the original idea behind a meme is two weird ideas come together and create an even better idea. Right. And he wasn't thinking about it in the context of, um, you know, cat videos on, on YouTube or, right, right. or, you know, GIFs or whatever, but he, yeah. this was, you know, back in the late 60s. But the idea was that... you. People need to share their ideas with each other, good or bad, in order right. to capitalize on the, the sex that ideas have right. when they meet with each other. Yep. And conversation is that thing. So conversation can happen in all of these different formats. You can write, you can share the way that we do on this podcast. Mm. People can say, that's great, or that's crap, or I've got a better idea, or they're going to then remix it and post something on their blog saying, Hey, you know, Richard said this thing that's outrageous. I've got a better idea mm. and start to build on that. And and that's really, you know, there are no original ideas. There are just ideas having sex with each other to make right. better ideas. Yep. And, and everything is a remix. Um, I think that's a Kevin Kelly thing, but yep. everything is a remix. And that's yep. great because two, two things that really helped me, because I have massive imposter syndrome, which mm may surprise a lot of people because I'm happy to stand up on a stage of 2000 people and mm. give a talk or publish books or whatever. But I do have a, a significant amount of, of, you know, this idea that like, I'm not really an expert. I never, you know, I don't have advanced degrees. I didn't go to any Ivy League schools, blah, blah, blah. Or, but the thing that helps me is a that, which is what if I just have a conversation with somebody? What if the conversation is really the meat and potatoes of the idea. It's not my idea. It's not my expertise, but rather the conversation is idea. And that's why most of my work has always been in the format of an, of a, an interview or a conversation. Mm -hmm. Almost all my books are conversations. Mm -hmm. The second part of that is that it's 
delivered through the lens of curiosity. And so if you're showing up as a curious person with a journalistic mindset, mm -hmm. you don't have to be the expert. Right. If, if I'm showing up as Malcolm Gladwell saying, Joe, tell me your story. And then I'm going to go to Jane and say, tell me your story. Mm. And I'm going to go and collect all these stories. And I'm going to do a little bit of pattern recognition. And I'm going to start to look for the, you know, the thread, the, as they say, the golden thread that runs through all these things. My job is a synthesis of ideas and pattern recognition. There is no need for me to be an expert. Right. The only thing that I need to be skilled at is writing. And the only way to be good at writing is to write. Right. It's just doing the reps, man. Go yep. to the gym and do the reps. Yep. So, you know, showing up with curiosity allows me to fake expertise in the sense that people assign credibility to me right? because I'm the one who published the book or, you know, did the podcast or stood on stage. But I can tell you that if you go through with a fine tooth comb and look at all my work, it's conversations. Right. It's referencing other people. So-and-so said this or... Mr. and Mrs. whatever said these things and they had a great, you know, crazy good idea. And now I'm going to kind of mold that yep. and use that in the context that we're talking about. Like that was in the context of architecture. Well, I'm going to use it in the context of design yep. systems. Yep. Yeah. I think that it takes a lot of courage though, to like it, it to be comfortable with exposing the idea that like, I don't know, I don't have the answer, but I'm here to like figure out the answer. I think a lot of people are shy about exposing that kind of vulnerability and not being the expert, not being the person with all the answers. I mean, especially- You can't blame them. You can't blame them in the way that we raise children sure. in school, right? So you've either got an A plus, a B, or yep. you, you suck, right? Yep, and I think- So you either have to be a master of the topic or subject, or you're nothing. Yep. And so we've told our children for the better part of 12 years of school, not including tertiary education, that unless they are an expert or a master of something, they, they're actually an idiot. Yep. Right? That's basically the narrative. Yep. And what we need to do is start to recondition our society to understand that making mistakes is how we learn. Making right. attempts, right. making tries yep. is what is actually the key component to being smarter and learning. Yep. And that requires a journalistic mindset. That's the yep. question mindset. This you know, I mean, we've heard this a million times. You know, this is a this goes goes way back. But you know, kids say why, 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 why they ask why two thousand yeah. times a day, and then by the time it's the you know we get to our age, we probably say why three times, and it's right. normally sarcastic, right? Yeah. You know, I think, it's, and that's so. Let me ask you this: You have more recent experience working in a large enterprise. You've you've worked. Yes. For yourself, you've worked in big product teams. You've been not, a part not of an enterprise, but a big team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So big team. In that capacity, did you ever experience the phenomenon of like people that just aim for the middle in, as like a survival technique? They just like sure. I'm just gonna be background jazz. Like I'm just gonna be in these meetings, and I'm not gonna cause a lot of you know ripples, and I'm just gonna kind yeah. of dink and dunk along. And I think that in a lot of cases, it seems like those people have that they have a better success rate at tenure because they're creating less friction. They're just kind of like beeping and bopping along. I disagree. I think it okay. depends. I think that's a, that's a, a mythology that we would like to believe because it's mixed for really good SNL skits. 
Right. I mean, there, there is a, there's enough of that around for it yeah, to yeah, be yeah, an yeah. SNL skit. I don't know if you saw the most recent McKinsey one on the. Amazing. Oh so my God, good. it was amazing. So and I, good. And I didn't even, I just saw it on like TikTok out of nowhere. Yeah. And like, it's gone viral. It's incredible. Oh my God. The whole, like, even people for Cornell line killed me. Like, yeah. I, unbelievable. Like all the way yeah. down. Was we have massive diversity from these Ivy League schools on the East Coast. But so there, there are enough people who are uh, absolutely co coasting for that to become a meme, for that right. to become, you know, you know, a, a, the, the punchline for a story. I mean, Office yeah, Space right. is just the perfect example of that. It can only be but a true. But do you blame those that. people? Right. Yep. So, so the, the the reason why that exists in the first first place is because of leadership. Leadership right. creates an environment in which if you do stand up and say, I've got a better idea or I've got a, an idea that I'd like to share or I've got a question about the ethical the work that you're doing at right. McKinsey, um, you'll get shot down, right? Leadership will say, they'll yeah. talk over you, they'll interrupt you, they'll say, well, you're not a white guy who was educated at an Ivy School League, so why should I listen to you? Right. All of those things are really just trained an entire generation to sit and go, okay, fine, I'll just do my job. Yeah. But I don't think that's true of every business. I don't, I don't think that's true of, of yeah. every organization. Um, yeah. And certainly in my most recent experience, the, the thing about InVision is that it hired unbelievable talent. Mm -hmm. It may have got some other things wrong, but it, mm -hmm. it never failed to hire really good talent. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really just virtue, virtue signaling to say that they hired me. You know, of course, they, <laughs> that's great. Um, but but I, I never, you know, there were very, very, very few people that I met at InVision that were yeah. not exceptional people. That's um, fair. I mean, just even today, if I if I ran off a list of people, you'd just be like, Wow, I mean, you don't have to like all of them. Not all of their personalities were people you'd, you know, want to, you know, have over to your house for dinner. But they knew their stuff. They were great at yeah. interacting with with their various types of customers and audiences that they needed to. Mm. Um, and they were really they were kind and and honest and lovely people for the mm. most part. And I really enjoyed working with them. Um, so I think my my bias is slightly there. But yeah, yeah I yeah. also worked with hundreds and hundreds of enterprises and i was actually surprised at how many middle managers and as they sometimes refer to that the frozen middle mm. those people really wanted to do good work they really right. wanted to show up and actually be a part of something important yeah they didn't always achieve it and it wasn't always available to them for various reasons whether those are biases or privileges or structures mm. or incentives um, and, and we can talk about that in another session where we can go into the details of how that actually operates but mm. i think a lot of people really want the best out of their their job very mm. few people show up and go i'm just going to coast mm. um, it happens it does mm. happen for sure um uh, david graber wrote a great book called bullshit jobs and he mm. was one of the probably the the top anthropologist of our time mm. uh, i think he wrote like 12 books on various social anthropology issues and he had written this article in the Guardian about bullshit jobs and and where they arise from. Like, why do they even exist in the first place? And right. why do people, good, well-intentioned people, how do they end up in these shit jobs? And that, that, that article got so much publicity, it went viral, uh, he decided to write a book about that. And, and so if people want to know more about why this happens and, and what the incentives are in place for that. But we're also seeing a thawing of that frozen middle. We're starting to see a lot more transparency. Mm -hmm. 
there are tools out there that allow people to express themselves in ways that, you know, I mean, this, that, that skit on McKenzie was just perfect because yeah, it's, it needs to be outed. There, there's a lot of BS in these big consulting companies and they need to yeah. be outed. So yeah, I think, I think it's thawing. It's not quite there yet, but yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody like shows up at work says, yeah, I'm going to screw the man as much as I can. I think they say, yeah, yeah I, I want to, I want to do as best I can. I, I'd love to have good, healthy relationships if I can as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never worked at the post office, so I can't say whether it's well, true of every organization. But I think you're, you're, you're pointing at the right thing, which is you have a, a set of experiences that are colored by the organizations you've worked in and worked with. And I would wager mm -hmm. that one of the things that might attract people to talking to you in your previous life at Fresh Tilled Soil was craving a partner like Fresh Tilled Soil. Whereas yes. if I didn't want a partner that was going to challenge me like Fresh Tilled Soil, you probably never heard from those oh, organizations, right? So you were yeah, probably- but I, I, Just to keep in mind, I, yeah. you know, I was in the army, so I've worked in big industrial military type complexes. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked as a security guard. I worked as a limo driver before there was such a thing as limo, mm -hmm. you know, Uber and, and rideshare. Um, I, you know, I worked on, a, you know, probably what you would describe as a fourth world country um, with a very different culture to mine. Mm. I lived in Africa for 30 years. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot. I, yes, you are absolutely right that in the US, the bias has been to find different kinds of conversations, mm. but my perspective, my lens is informed. And so yeah. I've seen a lot of those things. So yep. um, somehow I'm fine, finding myself feeling defensive about that question, but that's not, it's not what I mean. It's like, I actually really yeah, I want, um, I really want to see the best in all people, regardless of their organization, even if they are in the pulp and paper industry or, you know, tie manufacturing. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says like, oh yeah, I want to be a shitty person. Um, right. They're just trying to provide for their families. They're trying to do the best they can. Yep. But I think, you know, th I think that's fair. And I think that that is, but I think that's inspiring too, in that like, <laughs> As long as you embrace that kind of attitude, then you don't have to be managed by fear. Like you don't have to to go for the safest alternative. You don't have to, you know, aim at the safest kind of destination. I think as long as you have that kind of in the back of your brain that people are trying to do good work, people are trying to provide value, people want to have a positive effect, mm. it should give you a little bit of encouragement that in any environment, you know, you should yeah. feel safe. Sure trying to find that in that environment, trying to like create a spark of that in some environment. You don't have to be afraid. I think you, I see people put this on themselves, I guess is, is part of what I'm saying too, is I see people limit their own ability to kind of grasp for that brass ring for fear of disrupting things too much, creating too much friction, you know, creating too much noise. And I think my own advice to them is typically to kind of go for it, to, to kind of just try to, Try to to reach for those things because it's it's its own positive byproduct. Typically, it creates a little bit of friction, which tends to be a positive thing. Um, yeah. But I think it is yeah. founded on like a certain amount of underlying optimism about human nature. Oh yeah, I mean oh, that, I, that is 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. I would I would I would describe myself as an optimist. Yeah, you know, even if there's a bit of a rational optimism in there. Yeah, yeah. In the sense that I'm like happy to change my mind if you give me better data or, right. you know, uh, 
happy to be wrong about a lot of things, but I don't see human progress happening without some optimism. Like at least yeah. most, the, at least fifty-one percent of us have to be optimists for there to be any right. progress. Yeah, 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 yeah. Otherwise, yes, nobody gets out of bed. Nobody yeah, yeah, even yeah, shows yeah. up to do anything. Yes. So, even if you do have a bullshit job, there's an optimist in you that believes that you might get a better job, or that you right. find a better company to work for, or you meet your future spouse or your yeah. partner, your your next BFF. Like something good is going to happen from this situation. We we are fundamentally geared to that because the alternative is not good. Yeah, and I think it comes back to what you said initially. You said, you know, the mood follows action, right? So if you feel like people are always out to screw you, if you feel like everyone has a negative agenda, if you feel this kind of inherent pessimism in front of you, then you can't, you shouldn't be surprised when that's the reality you manifest out of that. If you have that kind of, yep. you know, over well, well, What's more important is, of course, look, people are going to let you down. Right. So optimism isn't an elixir. doesn't, like, <laughs> right. I think we might have, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but one of the things that I suffer from is, like, if I feel positive, then I expect the world to be positive back to me. Like, right. oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do my exercises and my meditations and I'm going to yeah. do the journal and I'm going to, yeah. you know, I'm going to manifest positive outcome. I'm going to yes. have my affirmations. Yes. I'm going to watch my words and my thoughts. Right. And then shit things happen and you go, maybe I'm just not positive enough. <laughs> maybe I, maybe I need to repeat my affirmations more often. Maybe I, that meditation <laughs> should have been 10 minutes. It should be right. 20 minutes. Like, right. But, and and I do, I've fallen into that kind of self-help porn bullshit, mm -hmm. like where you just kind of like oh, doom yeah. scrolling through Instagram, trying to find the next positive, you know, protocol. Pro exactly. Protocol thing. Yeah. <laughs> but one of, one of the things that I've realized is that it, even, even though I'm going to be sometimes disappointed yeah, that if 99% of the time I trust people, and only 1% of the time people take advantage of me because I trusted them. That's, that's really good odds, like exceptional odds. Yeah. Now, I just in the last five years, I was taken advantage of by a landlord in a big way. Um, mm. During COVID, you know, kind of try to screw me on a deal because they just decided there are landlords and happens to be I happen to be in Massachusetts and they're you know, opportunity to screw me is kind of their legal right. Mm. Um, and it, it took a lot of fortitude and gnashing of teeth to, to work my way out of that. But I can't now think that every single person is going to screw me. Right. I might want to have a slight bias towards landlords and sure. get a better lawyer in 100%. the future. But, Fair enough. Fair but right. I'm not going to say, well, I got screwed, therefore everybody's miserable and horrible and trying right. to kill me. Right. That, that doesn't um, mean that's the nature of existence. Yeah. That I mean, imagine that, learned, but yeah. imagine that was the way that we looked at our relationships, our love. Like oh, God. you fall in love when you, I don't know, when, when's the first time you fell in love? You were a teenager or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And absolutely immediately afterwards got your heart broken. <laughs> right. right? Totally. <laughs> Guaranteed. Like, 100%. Guaranteed to have fallen the hardest you've ever fallen and yep. also had the worst heartbreak within the space of like what? Six oh, months, six months. Yeah. Oh, within yeah, within yeah, yeah. Um, and then it probably happened again, but it was kind of less scary 
But you right. still carried on doing it. And, and now look at you. You're, how many years have you been married? 20 years, baby. 20 years. Yeah. Been married for 20 years. So you're obviously an idiot because you're still an optimist. You, right. you still believe that things every day is going to be slightly better than the day before. And then it's yeah. like, it has to improve, right? Like, otherwise you wouldn't stick this out. And I think that's, that level of optimism is perfectly fine. And yeah. treating people with respect and having a level of trust and treating them with kindness before that they, before they treat you with kindness or give you trust. Yes. This is something my friend, Nate Walkinshaw taught me mm. is don't wait for somebody to give you their love, their attention, their trust, whatever you give it. Because mm. it costs you nothing, it costs right. you absolutely nothing. And if they don't appreciate it or abuse it or whatever, that's on them. Right. Right. You can't be, you can't, control that. You can't go to your grave saying, yeah, I, you know, I withheld all my love and my respect and my kindness because I was worried I would get hurt. Yeah. Because that, that's worse than death. That, that moment that you're lying on your deathbed, when you're feeling that, it's going to be, be too much. You, yeah. You've got to have, you've just got to step into an open-hearted type yep. existence, knowing full well, yeah. you may have your heart broken or that somebody's going to take advantage of you, but it's yeah. only going to be very, very small percentage of the time. Yeah. And that's okay. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that that's, that is where, that's where I feel the most personal kind of anguish in my working life is. Like, I love to love people. Like, I love to find yeah. and, and be inspired by and be crazy mm -hmm. about the talents of really brilliant, smart, wonderful people. And when I feel like they don't love me as much, that's when my feelings get the most hurt. It's because it doesn't feel like that's paid back in that way. Like, I love that, that sentiment. I love that, that feeling. So I feel like part of what is corrosive to me when I try to, you know, put good energy out there, you know, put myself out there, express that kind of vulnerability. It's when it's not like met in kind or it's careless or it's half-hearted. Mm. It's just that those are the, the little stings that I think. And I, frankly, I think that's what I was feeling last week into this week was that was the little, oh, okay. you know, barbs of, you know, like I would, you know, bend over backwards for somebody if they ask for help. Here yeah. I am asking for help and I'm getting guts. I'm getting very little back or I'm getting this kind of, you know, carelessness, and I, and I think that winds up hurting my feelings because it's something that I put a lot of value in myself. And then when it's not reciprocated, right. it's a specific yeah, version of vulnerability. Keep in mind that growing up requires you to also place boundaries, right? So yeah, what happens in this period, which kind of like today feels like a grieving day, right? Yeah. When you're grieving, you feel heartbroken and loved mm -hmm. and you put up walls. Mm. like i'm not going to get hurt again mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to do what i said like i said that i was going to help that person and i tried and they mm. didn't reciprocate well i'm not going to help them. right so that's that grieving period immediately following that is the opportunity to have some kind of healing experience of, mm. which you can then say okay um instead of building walls what i'm going to do is i'm going to put up boundaries mm. and the boundaries might be rule-based so i've got a close friend uh he and i were housemates when when we were kind of growing up in our 20s mm. huge heart this guy absolutely like you you were like did you just drop out of heaven like this guy was just mm. a huge heart really you know kind loving person um and you thought he had an infinite well of 
of generosity. He was he happened to uh, have a great little business. Um, actually, a really incredible guy. He was illiterate, but had a great woodworking business that had grown. Mm. And he was literally walking around with like ten grand in his pocket in cash every day. And would just like you know share the wealth. And he was mm. just a good person. Um, and then one day he told me he said, "I've got a I've got a three strike rule. Right? I'm going to be generous." I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be generous. And if I don't see mm-hmm. that it's landing or that that person is not appreciating it, then my boundary is, you know, that's the point at which I say, okay, I'm not going to be, be that. Like, and, and the way the example he gave is if you, you want somebody to come over to the house for, you know, share a beer or whatever, he'd invite them. Mm-hmm. And then he'd invite them the next week and mm-hmm. invite them the week after or whatever was appropriate. Right. And if they kept on making excuses, he's like, they don't want to be here. And that's fine. Right. That's not on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think rule-based boundaries are really good as well. Like mm-hmm. help help people three times, four times, whatever right. you know, your you know, your yeah. capacity is. And then decide, okay, well, now it's on them. Now they've mm-hmm. got to show up and do what I was trying to do. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's just like, hey, they don't want to be a part of my life, and that's fine. Right. You know, I want to be a part of their life, but it's not going to happen. So we just leave that. Yep. So I think, you know, the, the grieving followed by the healing means taking down the walls and putting up boundaries instead. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like the same thing, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And then, and then within that healing is just letting go. Yeah. Like having no expectations of anybody else and surrendering to that has been the gift that grief gave me. Mm-hmm. Right. When I, as soon as my, because when I lost Christy, mm. my heart was broken, right? Mm. Here was, it's not like a divorce where the relationship was slowly going into the toilet and right. I was just glad to be out of it. Right. It was at its peak of emotional right. intimacy when it ended. Yeah, yeah. And, and when your spouse or your, your partner dies, it, there's no like decline. It's like you are, you were in love as right. much as you could have been when it ended. Yeah. And that's, that moment needs to be followed with some kind of healing. Like, well, if this is ever going to happen again, if I, my heart is to, to repair itself, right. it has to be open, right? You right. have to give yourself that, that opportunity and you've got to forgive all of the shit and the guilt and all that kind of stuff that comes along with it. And, and part of that, like trying to help people and trying to be nice to people and trying to love people and not receiving it back. It's kind of a little bit of guilt. Mm. Yeah, let's be honest. So like, you know, you just kind of feel like, well, you know, did I do it with the wrong person or did like, you know, did I say mm-hmm. the wrong thing? Or like you start to beat yourself up and that's really not helpful at all because it's really right. not on you at all. Yeah. Dude, you're like reading my mind. It's crazy. No, that's, I, exactly. you know what, if yeah. you were a shitty person, I'd probably give you different advice. I'd say like, you're being, you're being toxic. And so that going, what you need right. is a therapist, but you are not that person. All the times that you and I have spent together over the last what is it now? 15 years more? Yeah, ish. Never once ever have I thought to myself, this person has an ounce of toxicity in them. You <laughs> give unconditionally and uh. you always have. And if you stop doing that, the only person that gets hurt is you. Right. Yes. That's, that's great. Advice. I mean, I, I, but you're, you're exactly diagnosing what goes through my mind when. I don't think that that feeling is reciprocated. I immediately go to, well, what did I do? Like, 
they don't, they definitely are not as crazy about me as I am about them. Or there's definitely some break between right. how I think I behave with them. Yeah, and what like, must be their reality. Yeah, totally, like what's not, wrong with me? Like, that, yeah, you know, exactly. like, like I am certain I have, you know, stepped on their toe at some point now. And I, and I, and then I will, unless I talk to my wife about it and she talks me off, you know, this kind of vein of thought. Like I will yeah. just like preoccupied with this, this, you know, fear that I've misstepped in some way or whatever. And the truth is, frankly, like people are wonderful. They just don't spend as much time thinking about you as you wish they did. Generally, most people at all. Like, that's the way that people. Yeah, I mean, we. That's okay. I did a I did a talk at at uh, Harvard once called "You Have a Great Business, but Nobody Cares." <laughs> Oh my God, that's so yeah, good. And, and the opening volley of that was, you think that person that you've reached out to or that you're trying to work with or that yeah. has previously worked with you and you think should theoretically continue to work with you, you think, wow, this person, I don't know why they're not responding to their emails or the phone calls right. that I'm making. You have no idea what's going on in their life. And, have, yeah, yeah. and as somebody who's experienced significant changes in their life right over the last 10 years right you you don't know what's going on i mean could it be right. something as simple as their septic system backed up sure and that's like 100%. a whole night 100%. day or day and night of just like yep literally knee deep in shit yeah and that's happened to me because <laughs> right. it's literally like oh I, you don't even look at your phone right the only thing you're right. trying to dial is like where the local septic company is like, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no um, but so i think that's exactly that's, but it could that's be something awful. So it could be really, really awful. It could be they, they could be experiencing, uh, you know, significant loss, mm -hmm. depression, um, all kinds of stuff. And so yeah. you really can't, it's an entitlement to expect that they would just get back to you or want to work with you or whatever. Yeah. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And yeah. letting go and just surrendering to that has been one of the most wonderful gifts that I've given myself. It's just mm -hmm. like, hey, there are, uh, this is the way I put it. And, and it, it kind of sounds a little out there, but the love that I'm looking for mm -hmm. is looking for me. The mm -hmm. money that I'm looking for is looking for me. The work mm -hmm. and the creativity that I'm looking for, it's mm -hmm. already looking for me. If I'm so focused on trying to get, you know, some ex, some person to work with me, then what I'm doing is I'm putting blinkers on and I'm not seeing who actually wants to right. hang out with me. Right. So I'm so busy obsessing about that client or that yep. opportunity or that love interest or whatever yep. that I don't see that there's somebody knocking on the door. Right. They're, they're over there and they're like, hey, I, I want to give you attention. I want to love right. you. I want to give you the money. But you're so busy obsessing about this thing or like yep. beating yourself up because yep. they didn't respond to your email yep just letting everything go and being open saying yes i'm going to do the work yes i'm going to put in the hours i'm going to make the content i'm going to make the calls i'm going to yep. do the outreach but i'm also going to do it with that kind of spiritual mindset of once it's out there it's out there yeah and i'm done with it yeah and and it's up to that whatever it is to you know circle back and do its thing yep or not yeah. While at the same time, I'm also open to the fact that somebody's going to call me out of the blue. Right. Because that's, you and I both know, that's where the whale shows up. 
No, totally. Hey, I mean, I've had those like when it feels like a crank call where people have called me and were like, yeah, I'm I'm phoning from uh, G Healthcare and we'd like mm-hmm. to spend a million dollars with you guys. Like, but it has to start next week and we don't really need a contract. Just send over like, you know, the yeah. invoice so that we can get it, you know, into the system. And I'm like, right. <laughs> I'm looking around the room like, who the fuck put, who put you up to this? Like, I may as well be called by like, you know, Brad Pitt or something. Like, it yeah. just feels so unreal. And like, yeah. But those, those are the, the deal, the big deals happen like that spontaneously yeah and you're busy obsessing over some nickel and dime bullshit like a you know like a small deal that's taking up all your time and attention oh totally i i completely identify there was at one point we're talking in my my happy cog life we were talking to google out of nowhere google reached to us and when i asked like you know like i'm just curious like i don't want to like look this gift horse in the mouth too closely, but I'm just curious, like what led you to our yeah. doorstep? Did you Google us? <laughs> Did you you us? That also not, not to get too far off track, but the first time I ever used Google Hangouts was with Google. Never been more afraid of a call in my life that I was going to screw this technology up. <laughs> and like, I mean, come on, like the stakes couldn't After it's their, their technology. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So when I asked, like, you know, what what was it that like made you reach out to us? And they said it was it was a video we had commissioned about a case study about the work we did with Ben and Jerry's. Oh, so we had like hired this amazing art director, um, Crush and I Love. Believe I believe I believe I actually saw that. Okay, so like this yeah. video yeah. that was meant basically to like like articulate. You, you, it was that it was shot up at their location, right? Yeah, up in so, and that's yeah. what made the difference to Google. What made the difference to to the client from Google was, like, we saw in that video that you took their culture and their environment and their company and their brand seriously enough, and it came through yeah. in the content you created. And we need somebody that you know yeah. cares about what makes us special in the same way and is going yeah. to kind of embrace that. And and that that couldn't have been further from what we thought the out come of that video would have been when we were right you know hemming and hawing and and really debating is it worth spending five thousand dollars on this video it's five thousand dollars that's insane like yeah. we're gonna spend that much money we had paul octavius to give him credit was the art director and like you know this was no small expense at that time and in and no not to way kind of not complete, completely link it back to what we started with mm-hmm. is you're creating that content you're creating a story right let me guess Nobody from Google engaged with the video. Nobody right. clicked on it or liked it or reshared right, right, it. Right, right, right. There was no evidence that no. your yeah. contact at Google. There's had... no signal of that whatsoever. No, not at all. No, not at all. Not at all. And so my idea that that you gave me that I'm going to run with this week is I'm going to do an AMA this week. I'm going to okay. do. I'm going to either. I'm going to reach out to a bunch of people and ask them if they can give me questions to answer whatever's on their mind. Like I'll do a recorded AMA. I'll post it to LinkedIn. That will like. A, give me something positive to do. It was like we, in my, in our, the book, we've been talking a little bit more and more about like yeah. different ways that people provide value. And in our conversation last week, we talked about, or I mentioned the whole model of Jeffrey Zeldman used to do Ask Dr. Webb. Yep. You know, back in the early days when he yep. knew, I mean, I think even Jeffrey would say he didn't know everything. He knew 15 minutes more than you knew. That's it. Like he knew what was down the block and around the corner. He didn't have all the answers and he would just 
answer any question you gave him, ask Dr. Webb. He would just be generous with his time. And it was, you know, what created people's careers was him answering their questions for them. So in that same vein, not that I'm Jeffrey and not that I'm going to achieve the same thing, but in the same vein of like, I'll just be of service. I'll just make my time available. And frankly, it'll give people a chance to see how I think about this stuff, how my mind works, like what kind of answers I come up with. And they'll decide that's their cup of tea or not. They'll, yeah. they'll think like, I want to hear more from this guy or they won't, but it at least creates the avenue for people to understand. Totally. Like, yeah. these are the kinds of questions I answer in my consulting. These are the kinds of, mm-hmm. you know, advice that I provide. Just model that in public a little bit, open that yeah. up and see what happens. Yeah. What could go wrong? What could go, nothing, I can't lose. Can't, you cannot lose. That's right. If only that was a book. I'll tell you. If only. By the way. I think we need uh, You Can't Lose T-shirts mm. with a little bit of the Joe Creative okay. juice squeezed all over that. All right. I'm in um, Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've got to pull on a T-shirt every time we talk and sure, this sure, will be sure. yours. All right. I'm into that. I'm into that. I, I'll get on that. Um, all I'll right. take a medium, by the way. What's that? I'll take a medium. Medium for you. Okay. Yeah. Although by the end of the year, I'm planning on being a large because, you know, I'm going to hit the gym. No, well I say that. that. I say that every year, but don't. Don't. Well, so that's like you've met. Have you met Raul Anders, who is my colleague at Happy Cog? So, yeah, Raul is seven foot, six foot seven. He's six foot seven. I'm five foot seven, and we wear the same wow. t shirt. So, that's like that. We are same size t shirt. So, that's like how the, the panda like wow. dimensions of my body compare to the normal and, and stretchy proportions of his body. That That's the, the, the world of, of t shirt sizes we live in. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for like letting me use this for a, a ambush therapy, therapy session. session. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, this is my love language. So I you, appreciate you know, this. Keep, keep and hopefully it's helped other people. Hopefully, like, I mean, exactly. I, I was debating even bringing this up this morning. You are very consistent in you want to ask how somebody's doing and you don't want to bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Answer. You want like to actually understand how people are doing. And I was really hemming and hawing, like, am I going to be this vulnerable and give Richard a non-Joe Rinaldi cheerleader answer to how am I doing? So I'm glad I did that. I'm glad that, that you know, if this helps anybody else too, that's wonderful. But I appreciate you helping me. I've discovered that a lot of people do not want to do small talk. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity that you have is to ask that question, how are you doing? And when they give you an answer, go... Is that really how you do it? Right. Because like you said, you can see those micro expressions. You can hear it in the tone of their voice. You know, the, the, the best one, of course, is I'm fine. Right. Oh, let's talk about that. Yeah. There's a lot. Tell, in me, tell me more. Yeah. 100%. yeah. And then, you know, pe- pe- that's what people want from each other. This is what the human experience is, is to have good conversations. Yeah. And then also know where to end them. Be like, hey, mm. you know, I got I got work today. I got to go and make an AMA, or I got to write a book, right. and do some stuff. You know, I do. So, I have a ton of writing I have to do. I have to get questions for this AMA. I got I got stuff I got to take care of. But now I have like you know again some positive things to fill my cup with. Yeah, so. yeah. It's like the uh, that scene in The Last Samurai. Do you remember that movie? I've never seen it. The Tom Cruise movie. I've never seen it. Oh, uh, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is being uh, taken in by. A samurai family 
mm. and they have a conversation. And then the samurai guy just gets up and walks off. And the Tom Cruise character says, well, 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 hang on, you haven't answered any of my questions. He goes, this has been a great conversation. Just carries on walking. <laughs> yep. Don't fuck it up. Right. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> like, go and do all the things that we said. Right. That's not. I like that. Best. Don't do the whole Western thing where, like, now we're like, oh, right. you opened up a can of worms. Can I tell right. you about my childhood as well? I'm like, just right. go and do the. Right. We've had this conversation. Now let's go and do the work. That's like, good stuff. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> all yeah. right. I have okay, my, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome.